0: Join us as we journey into the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on the Fan of History, episode 17, the 1870s BC, The Lord of Massacres. Last time on The Fan of History, we had the greatest party of all time, hosted by Asher Nepal II, when he started building his new capital of Kalal. Today, it's modern Nimrud. So, Dan, what happened after the party was over? Well, um, there will be some uh, some war
3: and stuff. <laughs> um, Remember, the Assyrians had a a yearly duty to campaign for the god of war. Oh, yeah. And now we have the third king of the empire, Ashurnasirpal II, and he is a very religious man when it comes to this. And he has already won a couple of wars. He has everybody's attention. Everybody came to his party. And his goal is still to reclaim all the territory of the Middle Assyrian Empire and sort of be the equal of Tiglath the I, uh, who was a great king of the Middle Assyrian Empire. Right. And today we will learn what, uh, what the walls of the British Museum t- says. There's the, this whole apartment uh, department in uh, the British Museum talking about Ashur Nasipal II, and it's pretty gory. <laughs> so uh, that's why Ashram the II earned the nickname Lord of Massacres. But we, before we uh, discuss the Great King, sure. we have to talk about another nation-state nearby. Uh, last time we introduced Hamath and Carchemish. Mm-hmm. This time we shall talk a little about Aram-Damascus. You usually call this Aram-Damascus to distinguish it from later Damascus states. This is in Syria then. And it's uh, an Aramean kingdom. So remember the Arameans merged with the Mm Neo-Hittites to form Mm city-states. But this is not a city-state, and it doesn't have many Neo-Hittites in it, but it's still inspired by the Neo-Hittites. But it's fully Aramean, and it's the only state uh, of significance they will ever construct. And we know quite a bit about Aram Damascus because it is uh, constantly appearing in the Old Testament, often as the enemy of uh, the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. The first known ruler is Ben-Hadad I. He rules from 885 to 865 BC, so this is this period. Uh, and the Damascus state will also appear a lot in the Assyrian chronicles because they will be focus of resistance to the early Assyrian Empire. And they will, they will be around for many episodes like a, a nail in the eye of the
0: Assyrians. <laughs>
3: But right now, Ben-Hadad the first is occupied with fighting the early Israel state. So it's very hard to tell which state is the first to appear of Israel and Damascus, and they are right next to each other. Uh, Omri is still the king of Israel, and he is a building in Samaria. You can tell this from archaeology that it's a lot of things happening in the capital, of Israel. Um, there are trade routes going through Damascus from Israel, so you really need to have a good relation with Damascus. So they have fought uh, uh, already, but they are, they sort of a tentative peace and try to do trades. And there is actually an Aramean trading district in Samaria, uh, probably then controlled by, from Damascus, pretty much. And the kingdom of Judah, including Jerusalem, is still a mystery at this time. So we actually don't know if Judah is around or if it's part of Israel or what's happening in Jerusalem. It's very unclear.
0: Hmm. So that... I, and the Israel seems, and Judah... Yeah. Are, okay, I was going to say, it sounds like... uh when you're talking about some controversy there. I'm guessing, yes. that I'm guessing there's some, some that, <laughs> some texts, let's say, are very adamant <laughs> yes. that it was at this time, but there's some maybe, um, physical evidence missing. That's what yeah, you're... we'll,
3: we'll talk a lot about Yuda later, but uh, there is a point where the first confirmed archaeological evidence exists. But we have to put Judah in our story earlier than that because it gets so entangled with everything that I can't understand how it could not have existed right. at some point around uh, 760. Okay. But now we are in 878 BC. The party has ended, uh, and Ashurnasirpal II looks for somewhere to go uh, in the next year. He is. Uh, he looks at the. Adventures of his father and grandfather. So he uh, emulates. There was a campaign that they both did. So he takes the Assyrian royal army down the Kabur and the Middle Euphrates River. Uh, and uh, the people there are like, uh-oh. So they pay their tribute. But there is a tribe, an Aramean tribe called the Suku, and they don't want to pay their tribute. And Ashurnasit. <laughs> It's on! Oh and
0: boy. There are,
3: there are weirdly enough some Babylonian auxiliary soldiers with the Suku. And remember Assyria has peace with Babylon. Sure. And there's a city called the Suru. Uh, and there's another city called Suru that we'll also talk about. <laughs> uh, maybe in this episode, so this is very confusing. But the leader of the Suku, the Aramean tribe, the Suku, was besieged in his city, Suru, with his Babylonian auxiliaries. And there's a battle for two days before Ashurnasirpal II can uh, enter the city. And here we actually have a quote of what happened when the Assyrian army was victorious in the city of Suru. So take it away with your best Asher Nassipal II voice.
0: Okay, I'll do my best. <sighs> their men, young and old, I took prisoner. Of some, I cut off their feet and hands. Of others, I cut off their ears, nose, and lips. Of the young men's ears, I made a heap. Of the old men's heads, I made a minaret. I exposed their heads as trophies on the front of their city. The male children, the female children, I burned in flames. The city I destroyed and consumed with fire. So you get a sense that he's
3: experimenting what uh, will install the greatest terror in people. Uh, A minaret is a pillar. So he actually builds a pillar of people's heads. Which is
0: uh, kind of weird. It's kind of (laughs) gross.
3: Yeah, it'll get worse. <laughs> uh, there were some some of the Armenians escaped to river islands, and uh, the Assyrians couldn't get to them, so they managed to get away from this massacre. Uh, remember, Babylon had a king called Nabu Apluvedina.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He has this peace going on with uh, the Assyrians, and uh, he is never called... Uh, we, we have no record of him being questioned about these Babylonian soldiers who are actively helping. And we don't know what happened to the, the Babylonian soldiers in Suru. Hmm. Uh, so in Babylon, there's peace. And um, actually, there is a, a tentative recovery from the Dark Age. So we. <sighs> It seems that there's cultural revival, there's literal revival. We suddenly get sources from Babylon once again, and uh, it seems that Nabu Apulidina is uh, doing really good politics, saving Babylon here. But it turns out that his brothers Sabdanu were actually captured by. Uh, so I have, uh, uh, his brother Sabdanu and 3,000 soldiers are taken prisoner by Asher II in this conflict or in another when he fights the Arameans. uh So there is a note that these guys were captured and we don't know what happened to them, which is very common with people being captured by the Assyrians. They just disappear. Huh. Uh, but still he isn't called, uh, he isn't questioned about this. or The, the alliance continues. All right. Uh, there is actually a warrior king inscription, and they are rare among the Babylonians. Most Babylonian inscriptions talk about other virtues of the king. But Nabu Aplidina has a, a, an inscription mentioning him as a great warrior. Uh, and he seems to have fought some Arameans in, in Babylonia and recovered the city of Sippar and rebuilt the temples in Sippar. Uh, so... It's very hard to nail this guy down. Either he's very weak or very, very clever. And I think he's clever. I think he is sort of on the edge of his, in his Assyrian relations, and he managed to keep Babylon safe.
0: Well, that seems to be a feat. <laughs> Asher Nasapal II seems to fly off the handle at uh, at a moment's notice. So to be able to get some things done and then avoid conflict, that's... Yeah, and it, it's, it's almost clever.
3: strange how much Ashurnasirpal Nasipal II avoids attacking Babylon. And his son will do the same thing. So Babylon is safe for 50 years. And when you're going to hear what comes later, you realize that this is
0: very unusual <laughs>
3: for the Assyrians.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything going on in other parts of the world?
3: Two other things happen in 878 BC. Uh, all uh, around the other side of the world, King Ji of Zhou China dies in 878 BC. He ruled China from 885 to 878 and uh, his reign included a loss of central power to the local nobles. Uh, he has a son called King Li who becomes the 10th king of the Zhou dynasty. And King Li is not about to accept that the Zhou dynasty is losing its power over China. Or maybe he will accept that if you pay him enough. Uh
0: Uh-oh. He can be bought.
3: Yes, he can. In 878 BC, also we have Ithobal I becoming the king of Tyre, the Phoenician city on the coast of Lebanon today. He rules Tyre from 878 to 847 BC. So that's over 30 years. He has a very famous daughter named Jezebel. The Jezebel? Yes, that's her. And she will be probably the main focus of one of our episodes in a short while. Hmm. Uh, There were four brothers who had ruled Tyre and Ithabal I killed the last one of them (laughs) and took over Tyre. And slowly, Tyre is becoming the most powerful of the Phoenician city-states. And this may be partly because Ithobal I has a really good relationship with Israel, who is a mighty power player on the Mediterranean coast. So Tyre and Israel are allies. And this will be cemented then when Ithobal I marries his daughter to the Israel king, making her a star in the Old Testament. I guess we have to mention Egypt
0: yeah, what's can, a... can we
3: avoid mentioning Egypt
0: <laughs> everybody wants to know what is happening in Egypt thanks to uh, many movies and yeah, popular culture we are in the, the
3: third intermediate period uh, dark time for Egypt mm-hmm. uh, we have two different di- dynasties ruling Egypt one of them from Tanis, one of them from Thebes Takloth I is the 22nd dynasty king in Tanis. har is the king of uh, Thebes. And uh, documentation is starting to break down.
1: Hmm. So, uh, uh Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Everybody get 30, 30, get 30, they get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
3: Okay, let's move on from Egypt.
0: <laughs> no more Egypt. Let's get back yeah, to, to this good year. Yeah, let's get back to some some fighting.
3: Yeah, in 877 BC,
0: people in Assyria
3: looked at Asipal. will there be a yearly campaign? You bet there will be a yearly <laughs>
0: campaign.
3: There are building projects going on at Kala and uh, possibly more workers are needed, so he has to go out and capture people. And in this situation, three cities Oh, three Aramean tribes, Suhu, Lakeh, and Hindanu, rebel. They don't want to pay their tribute. They want to fight for freedom. <laughs> and oh, the right. big Adini tribe, they are in the northwestern. They border uh, in uh, the Assyrian Empire in the northwest. And they have actually installed the king in Suhu from their mm. own tribe. and um, So given help to Suhu. And that's not acceptable, is it? No. And remember, some people in the last battle, last year, some people uh, escaped to river islands to get across, to, to flee from the Assyrians. Right. So Ashurnasirpal introduces the technology of building inflatable rafts made of goatskin. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you have these inscriptions of Assyrian soldiers uh, swimming with these rafts. So they're pretty much sort of swimming help devices <laughs> to get to these river islands To so people can't escape to them. So the Assyrian army goes down the Kabu River to these places. And um, there is actually great detail from these campaigns. Uh It seems that some of these places were... Uh, Governed by Assyrians already, because Ashurnasirpal II's policy is to install Assyrian governors, if he can.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And these Assyrian governors actually were part of the rebellion.
0: Hmm. So,
3: Ashurnasirpal wins a glorious victory. People can't escape to the river islands because of these <laughs> amazing goatskin rafts.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
3: So, so what does he do to the rebels, to the Assyrians and the people who didn't want to pay?
0: Well, let's see. Let's see what's written here. <clears throat> I built a pillar over against his city gate, and I flayed all of the chief men who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I walled up within the pillar, some I impaled upon the pillar, and others I bound to stakes round about the pillar. Many within the borders of my own land I flayed, I spread their skins upon the walls and I cut off the limbs of the officers of the royal officers who had rebelled.
3: So you have this big pillar. There are people impaled on top of the pillar. The pillar is covered with human skin and uh, the walls of the city is covered with human skin. (laughs) It's like
0: what the hell is going on? This guy is obsessed with pillars and skins. <laughs> yeah, he's got a thing, and that's weird.
3: And uh, I think he's trying to make a very clear message here that you don't mess with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't take betrayal especially well either.
3: <laughs> and it, it has become iconic for the Assyrians. You see these pictures all the time of Assyrians flaying people and. But it's mostly this guy. (laughs) I thought when I started this that, uh, oh, every Assyrian king did this. And we'll talk about it when it happens, but it's actually quite rare. But
0: it's pretty Uh, impactful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) And it will be interesting to note that the Assyrian rule must have been pretty bad. Because despite that you know that this happens when you rebel, people will rebel against the Assyrian Empire. all the time
0: well you can't keep people down forever
3: Uh, absolutely and this is one of the great inventions of the Persian Empire when it comes along they pretty much do things the same way as the Assyrians in all aspects except that they don't massacre people like this all the time (laughs) so it's um,
0: they are a bit friendlier and that will work very well for them well that's good well, so you, you had mentioned earlier, and it's kind of intriguing that, uh, one, um, king in China could be bought. Yes. What, what else, what else is going on over there? Well, the king is kind of corrupted. Right.
3: But this doesn't play out yet because in 877 BC, the Western Rong, a mm-hmm. uh, barbarian people to the west, uh, invades Zhou China. ...from their land of Huaxia. And this is the first of many invasion and raids from the barbarians on China. Uh, the Zhou capital, called Hao, was attacked. And the uh, Zhou authority over China is further weakened. Uh, the nobles are occupied with fighting the barbarians. so mm, okay. And uh, the king has to depend on them. So they, they are sort of allied with the king just because it's, it's threatened... There are... Uh, the Western Rong has been around before. They were enemies of the Shang state that existed before the Zhou state. There are pretty much four important groupings of barbarians around China. And we only have the Chinese sources, of course, and not the right. barbarians. So they are quite confusing, and they don't really know these people. Uh, the dog people that we talked about earlier in the last century, they were part of the Western Rong. Uh, there is also the eastern Dongji, and they actually live uh, at the Pacific coast, as I understand it. Uh, there is the northern Beldi and the Ji. Hmm. Uh, the western Rong are said to have green eyes and red hair, which is not what you picture in your head when you think about barbarians attacking China. And they might have come from Tibet. Wow. And this is all we know of these wars in China at this time. Uh, I really want to know more about China. and I've looked all over for a good book on early China history, but they all are very sketchy in uh, at this time. And the sources for China will get even worse uh, before they get better, sadly.
2: Hmm,
0: that's just too bad.
3: Back to Assyria!
0: Okay, back to Assyria
3: remember the Bitadini had put a king in Suhu and uh, they were involved in this uh, rebellion somehow so in 876 BC Ashurnasipal decides to go punish the Bitadini and the Bitadini is uh, the most important Aramean tribe or Aramean city state close to uh, Assyria they will be around for a little while longer and they have a big fortress city called Kaprabu and is right next to Syria, so it isn't far away for ashur II. It's the first of four campaigns he makes into Syria. Uh, and uh, this uh, city is attacked by ashur royal army. And here we have the great king himself telling you what
0: happened. In strife and conflict, I besieged and conquered the city. I fell 3,000 of their fighting men with the sword. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others' noses, ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pillar of the living and one pillar of heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city.
3: So he made a pillar of the living? Uh and another pillar of heads. <laughs> it's like...
0: <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, there, was there anyone left to look uh, at these pillars? It seems well, like you would like, be killing so many people to make all these pillars. You're not going to have anybody to be afraid of. Fortunately pillars. for
3: the Pittadini, that was not all of their forces. So they lost this fortress city, but they are still around. But they lost control to the Assyrians of the crossing of the Euphrates. And they also had to pay tribute here. But this is very important, then, because one sign of the Middle Assyrian Empire was that they controlled the river crossing from Assyria. You go over the Euphrates into Syria. And this mm-hmm. is a super important point if you want to control the Middle Assyrian Empire area. And now the Assyrians control the river crossing. Uh-oh. But the Pitadini will be a problem for quite some time, and they will be a very big problem for Ash-Nasipal, the II's son, who will occupy many of our episodes. Uh, but this is the end of the Aramean states, the strong Aramean states east of the Euphrates. So now, this, uh, the Assyrian heartland has been recovered. Uh, in 875 BC, now Ashurnasirpal II has a border with the greatest of the Neo-Hittite cities, Carchemish. And King Sangara of Carchemish, he was at the greatest party of all time. He knows what the Assyrians can do. And when he sees the Assyrian army march across the former Bitadini lands, they actually march across the land that the Bitadini control because the Bitadini are paying tribute now and they're like, Oh yeah, you're not attacking us. Go ahead, <laughs> cross <laughs> our land. Yeah, feel free. And uh, now Asenazipal's army comes up to the great rich city of Kerkemish, And remember, he visited this city once before. And this is what happens uh, this time in 875 BC.
0: Hmm. The nobles and elders of the city came out to me to save their lives. They seized my feet and said, If it pleases you, kill. If it pleases you, spare. If it pleases you, do what you will.
3: And that was a good move on the city of Karkamish's part, because they totally surrender, they pay their tribute, they swear their allegiance to Ashurbanipal II, and they give him tons of uh, nice stuff. I'm sure it included many monkeys and beds and important <laughs> furniture. <laughs> uh, so they save their city, and they are now uh, a tributary of the Assyrians. So, the Aramean threat has been uh, taken care of. Carchemish is a tributary. The Babylonians are allies. So, Ashanastopal has accomplished a lot of what he wanted to accomplish. Now he has to find a new target because there has to be a campaign every year. (laughs) And the Assyrian kings of old, they used to uh, show their power by marching their army all the way to the Mediterranean, which is way outside of the Middle Assyrian Empire, Square. and then they would wash their weapons in the great sea, and this appeals to Ashurnasirpal II. So that is what he will try to do in our next episode. On to the Mediterranean. Onward we go. And of course, at the Mediterranean there is uh, Damascus, Israel, all the. Aramean and Neo-Hittite city-states and the Phoenicians who so far have benefited a lot from the rise of the Assyrian Empire but uh, then the Assyrian Empire wasn't outside their door because they are selling a lot of stuff to the Assyrians that the Assyrians can't get any, way, any other way. So the Phoenicians like the rise of the Assyrian Empire so far but maybe they'll change their mind in our next episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we shall see. All right, folks. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Please go to YouTube. We hope you do like and subscribe and share. Also, don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. We are on iTunes, facebook.com slash fanofhistory. Twitter is at the Fan of history. Also, the website, thefanofhistory.wordpress.com. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you.
3: There's, there's No, No, I think we finished last time, didn't we? Wasn't that the final round? Nope,
0: this one's supposed to be the final round.
3: I think last time was the final round. Oh, okay. I I think you ended 3-2, right? And won the final round. So this is just me making poor notes.
0: Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods